Our reading this morning is from Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful passage in your word. And as Lou comes to speak to us now, we pray that we can listen and take in all that she has to say from these words. And we pray that it will be a blessing to us all. Amen. Hello again. I take it that that little ripple of laughter means you are awake. Good. We'll see how, see if I can do anything about that then, shall we? So on this second week of Advent, we're going to be focusing a little bit on Joseph. Focusing on Joseph because I actually think that, you know, sometimes he's a little bit forgotten, but also I think that... Uh, he embodies what it really means to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and to love the people around you as you'd love yourself. So I thought to myself, how might we think about Joseph? How might we go about thinking about this? So I, I've been thinking about this this week and I, I've come to the conclusion that really for us to try and get some kind of handle on what it was like for Joseph that I have basically imagined what it would be if he was to write us a letter here this morning. If he was going to write us a letter this morning to sort of just let us know how he found things, what might he write in it? 
Well, I'm not saying that it's going to say exactly this, but I think it could be something like this. Dear friends, I suppose I should start by introducing myself. My name is Joseph. Joseph Davidson. I've been hanging around your celebration of Christmas for quite a while, but I suspect you don't really know me too well. I feel a little bit like the father of the bride at a wedding. Nobody really pays that much attention to him, but he does get to pay all the bills. <laughs> and I know how much you enjoy celebrating Christmas, but I want to tell you, your Christmas cost me a great deal. My family is an old and honourable one, probably with more emphasis on the old than the honourable. My ancestor was King David, but that isn't too much to boast about. I mean, he lived thousands of years before I was born, so by the time there were, my time, there were hundreds and thousands of us Davidsons, but I was proud of this. Some of you may be able to trace your heritage back to royalty or fame. Well, it's certainly like that with me. Where do I start? I grew up in Bethlehem, only a few miles from Jerusalem, and making a living was quite difficult. So, as a young man, I moved to Nazareth. Nazareth was so small, I'm always amazed to think all these years you even know anything about it. It was a hamlet. It was the butt of jokes. A bit like Norwich, Norfolk, really, isn't it? Can anything good come out of Nazareth, people would say? But I didn't go to Nazareth for the nightlife. I went there to find work because I'm a woodworker. I like to build furniture, frame houses, make tools and yoke for oxen. If it's made out of wood, then I'm your man. But woodworkers, you see, we're practical people. I like things that you can handle and see and measure and cut and saw. I'm not really much for ideas. I enjoy, don't get me wrong, I enjoy listening to the teachers when they come to the synagogue, but I prefer more practical things. Wood is honest, wood has integrity, and I kind of like that, and I like it in people too. Another thing that you should know about me is that my neighbours call me a righteous man. Now, in my day, that meant something really specific. You see, way back hundreds and hundreds of years before my birth, God gave Moses the law for our people. And the law tells us how we should live for God, tells us the things we should do, the, the way we should eat, the people we should associate with, and so on. Now, keeping the law isn't always very easy. It makes quite big demands on us. But if we're going to be God's people, I believe we have to do what God tells us. And people in my day called a man who kept the law a righteous man. That's me. I was dutiful when it came to the law. I don't go around preaching to people or looking down my nose at others. I just think if a person believes something, they have a duty to live it. And of course, the other thing that shaped my life was Mary. Life was good for me in Nazareth. There was plenty of work and I was able to save some money. And just when I was thinking about getting married, I met Mary. She was about 15 years old then, and that was just the right age within our culture for becoming engaged. She was a wonderful girl. 
She was a wonderful woman and we were betrothed. That's something like your engagement, only it's just much more permanent. It lasts a year, sometimes even longer. And during that time, the families get to know one another and they work out a dowry and they search the records in the temple in Jerusalem because in a little country like ours, it's very easy for close relatives to get married and never know their relatives. Bit like Norfolk. Uh, I can say it, I'm from Norfolk, all right? I can get away with it. Our engagements can only be broken by divorce. And getting a divorce isn't easy. You have to show real cause, and it's incredibly disgraceful. And that period of our betrothal was a time when I dreamed. I dreamed about building a home for Mary and myself. I dreamed about the kids we'd have. I dreamed about the wonderful life we'd have. I dreamt about how wonderful things were going to be. Isn't it just so strange how quickly life can go sour? How quickly dreams turn into nightmares? How easily your fondest plans can be shattered? Perhaps you know that. Perhaps that's your experience. I just noticed that Mary became quiet and withdrawn. And I wondered if something was wrong. But when I asked her, she said she just couldn't tell me. She couldn't tell me about it. She couldn't talk about it. Now, I had to go out of town to do some work. And all the time I was away, I hardly slept for worrying and wondering, had I done something to displease her? Had I done something to displease her family? I mean, maybe they'd found something in the temple records that would prevent us from being married. So by the time I came back to Nazareth, I was beside myself. And I begged her, please don't shut me out of your life. Please tell me what's going on. Oh, I was totally unprepared for her answer. I'm pregnant. And she began to weep. And I felt like I'd been kicked in the stomach. Of all the things, I never dreamt that pregnant but I knew I wasn't the father but who was I thought we'd have love and respect I we had a future how could it happen without her parents knowing without me knowing and what about our dreams and why and then that's when she told me her story about how an angel had appeared to her a teenage girl in a fifth-rate village, and told her she was going to be the mother of Israel's Messiah. The Spirit of God evidently had come upon her and planted a baby in her womb. I was furious. It's one thing for her to betray our love like that, but it's quite another thing to treat me to a story that bordered on blasphemy. I mean, do I look like an idiot? Don't answer that. I wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't have believed it. And I wanted to lash out, and I really, in those moments, wanted to hurt her because she had hurt me. The law said that a woman found in adultery should be stoned to death. And maybe I began to understand that law in a way I never had done before, because I wanted to get back at her, because she'd ruined our love, she'd ruined my faith, She'd taken my trust. She'd wrecked my reputation. You see, as a righteous man, it's my duty to live a certain stand to a certain standard, to live a certain way. People respected me. They counted on me. This would ruin me. Everyone would assume I was the father, 
Just think how that's going to go down. That, how far a story about being visited and made pregnant by the Spirit of God. Imagine how that was going to go down in the market square. I had to go public. I had to gather the elders and publicly sever the relationship. I'd tell everyone I wasn't responsible. If I couldn't get anything else out of this mess, at least I'd keep my good name intact. But I couldn't do it. Because I loved her. I loved her. I loved her with all of my being, even though she'd shattered my faith and I didn't want to make a public example of her. Of course, there was no way I was going to marry her, but the law left it pretty well up to the man what was to be done. It was my duty to deal with this in a way that kept my reputation intact and safeguarded Mary from the worst possible outcome. I could just get a couple of friends together, give her a private bill of divorce, and that would be that. Of course, the reason was soon going to be obvious, but without a complaint from me, nothing could legally be done to her. Mary had to get away. The caustic gossip down by the village well would be far too much to handle, so she went south to Hebron. She had relatives there, and, and they would have given her support, given her a place to stay. After she left, things were just pretty much a blur. I walked around... Mindlessly, really, I worked at my bench. I, I didn't care about eating. I didn't pay much attention to life. I was broken. I could get no sense of peace. And then the dream started. Always the same. Walking down a dark corridor and suddenly this blinding light and there was an angel. How did I know it was an angel? It's a good question, but there are times when you just know things. That's the best answer I can give. The angel told me not to be afraid. Joseph Davidson, the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. The child she bears is from the Holy Spirit. You'll call his name Jesus and he'll save his people from their sin. That was my dream. Now for a carpenter, for someone used to working with tangible things, this was really hard for me to take on board. I mean, dreams. They come to prophets and teachers, not to woodworkers. And I couldn't talk about it with anyone without revealing Mary's terrible secret. Even then, I, I still was thinking about it as her secret. What was I going to do? The, the dreams just kept repeating the same dream, but each time just more and more forceful. A wise person has said, we need to recognize what time it is in life. And I just knew it was time for me to make a decision. Nothing would ever, ever be the same again. It would be life without Mary, living out my duty before the law, but then maybe always wondering if those dreams were true. If God was somehow doing the most unexpected thing in the most unusual fashion. Or it could be life with Mary, with all sorts of unexpected troubles and surprises, but following my faith. And I knew right off the bat that my reputation was just going to be ruined. If I didn't divorce Mary and she had a child, everyone was going to assume I was the father. They might not say anything to me, but I know what they'd think. Because if I'm honest, I'm, I'm ashamed to say I've thought that way about others from time to time. I had to make this choice to stick with my own good but human-centered plan or to trust God and follow the bold 
and really risky plan that I'd been shown. And so, I chose the latter. I just reckoned knowing God's will was never going to actually be enough. It was doing it that mattered. That now was the time to maybe step beyond duty and actually listen to what God was asking me to do. So, I went down to Hebron. I told Mary about my dreams. I apologized for doubting her. I took her back to Nazareth, and as soon as possible, we were married. I figured, well, it will be rough. But if God's in it, it won't be too bad, will it? I told you, I'm a woodworker. I'm no theologian. I had no idea at all how wrong I could be. I know you've heard about Caesar's decree concerning the census, but I wonder, have you ever really thought about traveling 90 miles in the winter on a donkey when you're nine months pregnant? The crowds in Bethlehem, even my relatives had no place for us to stay. There were people underfoot wherever you turned, and we finally found some shelter in a stable, a stable that someone had just hollowed out of the rock. Mary had to be both mother and midwife. I'm a woodworker. What do I know about delivering babies? You'd think, wouldn't you? If God had been planning this for years, some better arrangements might actually have been made. But still, life didn't settle down. Life with Jesus was always this combination of the ordinary and the incredibly strange. Those astrologers from Iraq, worshipping our toddler. Having to become refugees so Herod's soldiers wouldn't get him and kill him. There's so many more stories, but probably maybe I'm starting to overstay my welcome. I hope you'll forgive me going on, but not many people seem very interested in my perspective on those strange and wonderful months. I once thought as a young man, if I ever saw an angel, I'd never have any doubts. I saw an angel. It was vivid. It was real to me. But I always have lots of questions. Did I make it all up? To be honest, Jesus didn't really seem like the saviour of the world. And you sing no crying he makes. Hmm. You should have been in our house at three in the morning when he was cutting teeth. You should have heard him when he fell on Nazareth's streets and skinned his knee and it bled. And I held him in my lap and I told him stories until he fell asleep. Some of you have a faith like Mary's. It's rich, devout, strong. You know, you're God's special people. Maybe some of you you're more like me. You live in a world of cause and effect. You believe your doubts and you doubt your beliefs. I understand because I've been there. All I can tell you is that when I faced those questions, when faced with the decision between duty and faith, I came down on the side of faith. If you like, I faithed it through even when I really didn't feel like believing. I trusted when I didn't feel like trusting and that's what God used. That's what brought me some sense of wholeness and peace. I am nowhere near being the main character of the story. But as you celebrate in a few weeks, you might want to remember in a corner of your mind that God still chose me 
to be part of the story. Joe Davidson, the dutifully righteous man, the carpenter who believed as best he could. And if he can do that for me, and if he can do that with me, he can do that for you too, whoever you might be. Joseph. Joseph says yes. He says yes to playing his part in God's story, regardless of the personal consequences. And we should not underestimate those consequences. Whether people thought that Joseph had broken the vow of celibacy or that Mary had been unfaithful to him, the potential shame on him was substantial. The Christmas story is filled with hard choices and sacrifices. We miss it because we make it about a baby that doesn't really challenge us. Knowing the will of God is not enough. Doing it is what matters. Joseph moved from a place of compassion and duty to actually listening to God. I wonder what that might look like for you. I wonder what that might look like for us to be Jesus followers, ready to dream, to go beyond what we've andred as our duty, beyond the expectations of others and the world and step into God's bold future. I wonder, has God already placed a dream in your heart? What will be your next faithful step? Perhaps like Joseph, it includes letting go of your desire to explain yourself, to be understood, to be validated according to the world's standards, beyond the need to be seen in the proper light and to maintain personal comfort and security. Maybe in Joseph's story, we can allow ourselves to be challenged about the times when we've been really ready to do what is right or what we've sensed our duty was, but completely missed the opportunity to take a brave step out into God's inspired thing. What dreams and visions has God given to you? What dreams and visions has God given to us as a church family that we might need to be ready to take the risk and act upon and be ready to live out, to be obedient, even to to be obedient to them, even if it might be uncomfortable and unsettling and different? God was with Joseph in his dutiful living but he called him to move beyond duty, beyond what was expected, into the reality of his dream, his purpose, his plan. God is with us. He's with us in our sense of duty in the ways in which we live our own and others to others' expectations, but he calls us and he envisions us to be active participants in his plan and in his purposes. May we have the courage to follow Joseph's example. May we have the courage to step beyond duty. May we have the courage to listen to God's call. May we have the courage to live lives of ever-increasing obedient faithfulness out of love for the one who gave his all for us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that within the Christmas story that we know so well, we realize that you use ordinary people, people like us, people who make mistakes, people who stuff it up time and time again, people who doubt, people who feel their faith is weak, people who struggle to trust you. You use people like us and you call them to take steps of faith You call them to do the things that you've created them to do. 
And it's all part of this wonderful plan of salvation. Lord, today we thank you for the part that Joseph played in your story of salvation. We thank you for the risk that he took to step beyond his duty and into this plan that you had that was crazy. We thank you that in moments when he must have been overwhelmed with terror, fear and anxiety, he still trusted you. He still acted upon what you called him to do. Thank you for the ways in which he embodies and makes clear to us what it means to love you with all that we are and to love those around us. Lord, may his story, Joseph's story this morning, challenge us, encourage us, but lead us to be people who, like him, are ready to step beyond duty and to find our place within the unfolding story of salvation, that through us, you might come afresh this year to our families, to our friends, to our neighbours, to those who do not yet know that there is a God in heaven who loves them beyond their imagining. For your glory, we ask. Amen.